Hello, Melissa here. As some of our long-time listeners will know, I am a huge Friends fan. And it just so happens that in this episode, which was recorded on the 21st of October, I referenced Matthew Perry, who has obviously since sadly passed away. So when you hear me mention him, I will use the present tense because we hadn't yet lost him. But our hearts go out to his loved ones and fans who I'm sure miss him greatly. Shall we talk about this episode before we <laughs> sure before we lose everybody? Um, and this episode is called "Lost and Found." We've lost the plot, but we're going to find our way back. We so it was episode two hundred four. It initially aired on the twenty fifth of October, twenty eighteen, and it was written by October twenty fifth, two thousand eighteen. Yes, because you do it the back to front way. You guys do it backwards. We probably invented it, the date. Probably. Because you lot just, you know, we had a load of bunch of English people that branched off, went over and colonised the place and then just turned stuff around. You drive on the wrong side of the road. That's how anti-British you were. We were like, we're going to turn the date around. Screw you. We have our own date. We're we're putting the steering wheel on the other side of the car. Steering wheel on the other side. We're going to drive on the other side. Screw you. You think you can rule us? Watch this. Watch this. What? What? (laughs) That's why everything's opposite. Yeah, you're just belligerent, you lot. (laughs) We're just a bunch of of belligerent Brits over here. Exactly. So, 25th of October, 2018. Yeah, sorry, reeling it back in already. (laughs) (laughs) written by jim campolongo this was his first episode that he wrote but he also explains a lot (laughs) (laughs) before we went to air tiffany expressed to me that this was not her favorite episode so much so that when she went to re-watch it in order to give a sterling mother approved episode of the podcast she started rewatching 204 and went, nah, not worth it. <laughs> no, not going to happen. <laughs> it got to the scene where Ryan sees his dad in the bathroom and I was like, oh my God, I can't watch any more of this. <laughs> but we'll see how you get on with um, episode 214 when it comes to that in 10 episodes time because Jim Campolongo also wrote that one. But he okay. wrote no further episodes. So. Big surprise. Big surprise. <laughs> it was directed by Marcus Stokes. Again, this was his first episode of Station 19, but he also directed episode 211. Mm, okay. And directed no further episodes. Okay. I don't have anything special to say about the writer or the director of this one. Um, shall we start with the incident? I know we don't usually start with the incident, but I feel like the incident was really big and a lot of stuff happened that is sort of relevant to everybody and their reaction to the incident. Mm-hmm. So for yeah. me, I think it makes more sense to talk about what happened and then to talk about how different characters or groups were affected by it afterwards. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Cool, let's do it that way around. So Sullivan calls the lineup and says that he's been watching the team over the past few weeks and they're all interchangeably good at their jobs. 
a nice backhanded compliment, isn't it? You're all good, but we could swap you up for anybody else. You don't really make that much of an impact. But he doesn't want just the perfectly nice team that they are now. He wants an exceptional team. So he's decided to assign them all specialities that they will each learn. So they're each going to have a specific skill that's theirs and theirs alone that he can call upon at any time. And there is a, like a funny little moment where Travis starts to ask if they get to choose what their speciality is, but then mm-hmm. he only manages to get where well, he gets like less than half a sentence out before Sullivan starts yeah. barking at them as to what they will be assigned to do. And then Travis yeah. concludes in a very Travis-like way that um, they will not get to choose. <laughs> so he has assigned Dean to be on water rescue. Maya will be incident operations. Vic will be crisis management. Jack, tactical force training. I don't really understand what that means. I understand the words individually, but not when put together. Yeah. Ben is on hazmat training. Travis will be urban rescue and Andy will be on recruitment. Andy is smiling up until the point that she is told she will be on recruitment, at which point the smile is wiped from her face. (laughs) (laughs) Not happy with that assignment. Um, but Sullivan notices and he calls her on it and he asks her why she's less than enthusiastic about her assignment. And she says that she sees that as more of a sit behind a desk kind of a thing and that she is not a sit behind a desk kind of a person. But he tells her to trust him. Then when a call comes in, Sullivan tells Maya that her special assignment starts today and to pretend that she's a lieutenant for this call, he wants to hear her ideas. Then on the way in the engine, um, they're on their way to an abandoned building. The call is an abandoned building. Sullivan asks Maya for her opinion on how they should handle it. And she says that since there are no civilians to worry about, they should just do a defensive kind of a thing and do a surround and drown because that's going to be the safest approach for 19. And Sullivan tells the rest of the team over the radio that that will be their approach, which makes Maya very proud. But there's lots of sighing and eye rolling and fast blinking from Andy. Then when they arrive on the scene, Andy automatically starts giving Sullivan her appraisal of things and her suggestions of how to proceed. But he basically dismisses her and asks Maya what she thinks they should do. So then Maya starts giving out orders to the team, much to their amazement. They just all look quite bemused by it. But Andy, as if she's entirely in charge... (laughs) then sort of steps in and says, yeah, great. And also we can, but Sullivan then cuts Andy off and says, they all heard Maya. And so go off and do your jobs, people. Maya has tasked herself with hooking up to the hydrants, but there's no water coming through because the building had been set for demolition. So the water company had cut the water off to the hydrants in the area. And her plan B is just to let the building burn as long as the sweep for life comes back negative. However, Jack notices signs that the building is being used as a squat because he sees a shopping cart full of bottles that have been collected, presumably for recycling. And tin cans are arranged in front of the doors as a makeshift burglar alarm. So he calls in Sullivan that they can't just let it burn. And as he does that, some children escape through a grate with one of them then immediately going back inside to find her five other friends who she says are still in there. Andy tries to get the girl to leave the building but she refuses saying that she knows where her friends hide and sleep 
whereas Andy doesn't. So then Andy has no choice but to call in for backup to help find the children. So Maya deploys Dean and Jack to go back in while Sullivan barks at Maya for an update on the water situation because they're almost out of water on the engine. So Maya says that dispatch are working on it and then she has another team move to the next nearest hydrant to see if they can get any water out of that one. Inside the building, they need to buy themselves some more time to find the kids. And Andy notices that there's a sprinkler system in play, which she says will have its own water supply. And the kid who at this point has sort of deputized herself as a firefighter for the day says that she thinks she knows where the valve is to switch the sprinkler system on. Mm -hmm. Outside, Jack has managed to rescue a couple of the kids and one of them's got a nasty burn but he doesn't want Jack to touch him and help him with it and he gets quite aggressive with Jack and is quite panicky has sort of what looks like the beginnings of a panic attack and Jack just holds on to him very tightly and keeps telling him it's going to be okay whilst Dean watches on and having calmed the boy and refusing to back down until he's medically cleared Jack says he's not going to ask the lad any questions and the boy just replies well why do you care anyway I'm nobody at which point Jack describes the fear that you feel when you're sleeping rough whilst he's passing the boy some gauze before going on to explain to him how to dress his own wounds since he won't let Jack do it and Jack seems to gain the boy's trust with the, him agreeing to let Jack show him how to apply the bandages and what have you. But then a call comes in over the radio that Jack has to go back and attend the fire. So he says to the lad, you wait here for me. Meanwhile, Maya is still <laughs> trying her best with the hydrants, bless her. She's moved on to yet another one that's still coming up dry. And Sullivan asks her what she's doing. And she says that she's waiting on the water being switched back on. At which point he berates her, saying that he put her in charge and she stationed herself kind of out of the way, just sitting there waiting while the rest of them are pulling children out of a burning building. And he tells her that she's become preoccupied with one small piece of the puzzle instead of being a leader who sees all of the pieces all of the time. And then he resumes command. Meanwhile, inside, Andy, Travis and the young girl locate the sprinkler valve whilst Vic and Dean are off somewhere else rescuing um, another two kids. However, it turns out that the fluid in the sprinkler system isn't water at all, but actually antifreeze. And Mm. when the accelerant sprays out of the sprinkler system, the fire obviously rages, and so 19 have to use their bodies to cover the children still inside. Luckily, everyone's okay, but there's still no water, and their fire extinguishers that they've been carrying around with them have now run dry. So we've still got most of 19 and three of the children still trapped inside the building at this point. Then Maya hears from dispatch that they'll have the water in two minutes. So she rallies the troops outside to get hoses, whilst inside Vic has a brainwave that they should chop through the walls to make an exit for themselves because as it is, they're hemmed in by fire. Meanwhile, the girl who has been kind of directing Andy around this maze of a building has now collapsed from smoke inhalation. So she, Travis and Warren have no choice but just to stay with her and wait on the water because they can't can't get themselves out and get her out. 
but the water comes just in the nick of time and, and everything's fine. Jack, having finished putting out the fire, returns to the aid car to help the boy that he'd left there. But he's gone and another firefighter tells him that he tried to help, but the kid just took off. Andy wants to go and check on the girl who was showing her around the building. But Sullivan stops her and he actually calls her Andy. He doesn't call her Herrera. Mm. He calls her Andy mm-hmm. and says, you first, handing her an oxygen mask. And then when Andy's recovered enough to go and check on the girl, the girl says that she feels like she let her friends down because they're now going to be split up by the care system. Um, But Andy tells her, on the contrary, she was a hero. She was very brave. She was the one who saved all of her friends, and that's not something that most people would do. And she tells this girl that she would be lucky to have a kid like her on her team and gives her her phone number, telling her to give her a call to let her know how she's doing and to also come by the station when she's recovered so that she can see what firefighters do. And it's at that point when she's writing down her phone number that she realises that she's given Handsome Brad, who we will meet later on um, <laughs> in, in this podcast, her dad's landline number, not her mobile phone number or her cell phone number, right. as you recalcitrant lot insist on calling it. Um. And then Sullivan commends Andy for her work and tells her that the reason he assigned her recruitment is because she's the one with the most passion for the job and tells her not to beat herself up over the antifreeze in the pipes because it's not something that she could have anticipated. And that's the incident, I think. Did anything happen that was relevant that I didn't touch upon? No, that was Do you great even detail. care? Do you even care if I did? Yes, I do care. Um, but you always you always do very detailed, and I think and I think it's because you dictate when you you know you're you're talking, so it's easy to get all the detail. Yeah. Um, rather than writing, but um, you know, I liked this incident. I think I think it was a good incident. Um, it was it kept your attention. It was good to 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 have a way to usher in jack's past a little bit and learn a little yes. bit about jack um i loved the scene with with him and the boy in the aid car um Brilliant. i wish she would have been there when he got back um i remember feeling like sullivan was getting deeper feelings for andy in this episode yep um i was a little bit disappointed in in maya's leadership at that incident i think she could have done better Interesting. um i think sullivan was right she did get one track minded and allowed herself to be stuck on that hydrant when there were so many other things she could be doing um and so i i do agree with sullivan there um but i'm not saying i could have done any better (laughs) um but I, i just overall think it was a good incident it had it had you know, it had a something. There's always something that goes wrong during an incident to make it an incident. Yeah. And um, you know, having the antifreeze come from the pipes was very clever, and it was, it was, it gave the opportunity for Sullivan to comfort Andy. Yeah. And um, it just opened up this incident. Had a lot of small things that opened up to allow for bigger things to happen. Yes. Very and so much I thought so. it was, it was a good definitely incident. a vehicle. I thought it was a good incident. I yeah. actually thought Maya did do quite well, and I thought that he did her a disservice. Do you saying really? That she, I do. 
And I, I just don't he, quite agree with you. He did her a disservice saying that she got preoccupied because she'd given everyone their jobs. She did, and though. She was by that the hydrant for like 15 minutes. But I think that was maybe the third hydrant that they tried. She was moving from hydrant to hydrant. She'd also oh, called I in. she was at the same one. No, because she tried, cause she, and she'd said, didn't she, to guys get some hoses and go to to a different hydrant. So she But did she ever check with them that those were were working? Yeah, and they were all dry and so that's why she'd called into dispatch right. and said you need to turn the water back on. But you've got to keep trying them, right? Because you might find one that eventually has the water and she'd still been liaising with the team and when Andy said we need help, she was like, "Right, Jack, Dean, you're up. You need to go in." So unless he expected her to abandon the hydrants and put someone else on hydrants and then go and stand but she was at least doing something practical because the other option was to do what? Go and stand next to him and dish out some more orders. At least she's so, do- doing both. I don't know what else she could have done. So, like, I guess the way I looked at it was I'm a nurse, right? Yeah. And so when I'm working in the hospital, if it's really, really busy and I'm the charge nurse, I'm delegating tasks to people because that that are and I don't mean beneath me, but that no, but I know are what you mean. not as cer- highly certified as me. Yeah, that can do the task, even though I can do it. That they can do it to take it off my plate because there yeah. are things I need to do that they cannot do. Yeah. So I just feel like she could have tasked that to somebody else went back to incident command, talked to Sullivan, said, this, this, this is what's going on. This is my, my plan. This is what I'm doing. And then checked on her team. Was she I just not, think it could have been yeah. done differently. That's was all. she not doing that anyway, though? Because she was on the radio saying, okay, you, Sullivan. I just think uh, she could have Sullivan. done a little bit better job. That's okay. all. Yeah. I just don't know. I'm, I was just racking my brains for what else she could have done. At least she was doing something practical. She was still delegating authority. She'd given everyone their jobs and she was still saying, okay, Jack, you know, Dean, you need to go in and assist now because Andy needs more help inside. There's more kids in there. And she'd called into dispatch to get the water turned back on. And she told the other team, right, you need to take the hoses and go and check another hydrant over there. So I just felt like she was still doing all the delegating and all of the stuff while still getting herself practically involved by testing. You know, I understand, hy- I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think she did an awful job. I just thought she could have done a little bit better. That's all. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm always going to back up my one. I'm always going to back her. I can't help it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. The frost between Sullivan and Andy is definitely thawing. Yeah. And there's a bit of a crackle between them, I think, when he called her Andy and passed her the oxygen mask and he put yes. his hand on her shoulder. Yeah. It was like a little, like, it was, you could, t- you could feel the tension there. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit yeah. of electricity, a little crackle of electricity. Yeah. Like, ooh. Yeah. Anything else about the incident? No, I don't think so. I better stop saying that before I start getting hate mail because I said Maya could have done a better job. <laughs> no, I'm really not going to be the favorite. Most of the hate mail is going to be from me. But <laughs> because well, it's okay. We'll weed it out. She can do. 
she can do no wrong. Um, shall we talk about Ryan? I've, I've called this section Ryan and his dads. <laughs> <laughs> yep, pretty much. So we start with Pruitt on his porch making a scale model of a fire truck, which is very cute. Yes. And Ryan comes over to lend a hand and to also check when he should be picking Pruitt up for his medical checkup the next day. And through their conversation, Ryan sort of catches on that Pruitt still has every intention once he gets the medical all clear to go back to active duty. They have a really sweet sort of father-son style interaction where Ryan's sort of trying to be helpful and dish out advice that Pruitt really doesn't want. But Ryan gives it to him anyway before he gets called away to a police incident. And his parting words are that he will pick Pruitt up first thing in the morning for his appointment, which Pruitt tries to decline very comically with a scale model ladder stuck to his finger. (laughs) And then we go to said incident that Ryan's been called away to. And Ryan follows a SWAT team into a house where they break up an illegal card game. But seeing a half-smoked cigar on the table, Ryan knows that there's someone missing from the card table and he knows exactly who it is. So he busts into a room where he finds his dad hiding. And it turns out that his dad has been in town for two and a half months when Ryan thought that he was in Florida. So he tells his colleagues to take his dad's contact information and then storms out but Ryan's dad is not an easy man to shake he follows him into the squad car and tells him that he intends to earn Ryan's trust back and then a call comes in to say that there's a robbery in progress a couple of blocks down the road so Ryan has no choice but to attend the robbery with his dad still in the back of the car and then at the so-called robbery in progress Ryan interviews the would-be victim Both he and his dad work out very quickly that the victim is actually the perpetrator. With Ryan's dad then calling him a chip off the old block, which Ryan is not particularly happy about. And he asks his dad why he's still here and tells him that the only reason that he managed to catch the bad guy is because his dad taught him to think like one, which is not really a good thing. But Ryan's dad tells him that although Ryan doesn't want to see him, he still wants to see Ryan. But Ryan says that the way he sees things is the only reason his dad is still there at all is because he owes somebody a lot of money. Being taken away from the poker game in a squad car and now hanging around with a cop is pretty good protection. And that a cop is a lot cheaper than a bodyguard. But Ryan's dad says that what he's scared of is not a bookie, but of Ryan's opinion of him. And he says that Ryan is the only thing that he's done right in his life and he's turned out to be a decent guy in spite of his upbringing by his dad. And he writes down his number for Ryan saying that that's where he can be reached if Ryan wants to talk and even if he doesn't want to talk, he'll still be around. And um, he says something really sweet, which is that he'd had a really good day because he liked watching Ryan do what it is that he does. So... That's at least something positive that Ryan can take from it, I hope. But Ryan ends his day back on Pruitt's porch, drinking and playing cards with him and offloading to Pruitt about his dad. Does that sum up Ryan in this episode? The words that sum that up is snooze fest. 
<laughs> I was literally in pain when I had rewatched that. It was so boring to me. It was like, come on. I guess, I guess I should appreciate learning about Ryan and his past and his dad, but I just, it was just so boring to me. And I know they needed a filler and they needed something to move the story along, but for the love of Pete, man, whoever <laughs> Pete is, it was, Whoever that it goes. was, well, yeah, whoever, not because one time I said, for the love of Pete, my mom goes, who's Pete? <laughs> and now ever since then I crack up. Who's Peta, she said. <laughs> um, but, yeah, snooze fest, man. I was, the, 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 those scenes are the reason I did not rewatch the episode. <laughs> right oh, there. Oh, you felt strongly. I did. I was like, like, and I can't, you know, I don't sleep. And I was just like, this will put me there to sleep. There you go. That's what you need to do. When you text me and you say, I can't sleep, I'm going to type the words 204. You know what? Actually, actually, one time you told me when you can't sleep, you listen to Danny's old lives. Yeah. And one night I couldn't sleep and I had never, I had missed the live with Merle and Danielle, and you told me I had to watch it because Merle was hilarious. Yeah, she's too. And funny. so I, one night, which she wasn't. I'm not gonna lie to you, Merle. Um, <laughs> that was night, freakishly <laughs> good. That was freakishly accurate. Yeah, was it? It was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then her, and her, the, face, yeah, her yeah, smile. Afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought, well, I have nothing to do, so I don't. I watch it. And I, I ended up falling asleep listening to it. Yeah. So it was, and I th- I don't know, maybe their voices are just a comfort to us because we know them. Yeah, that's it. It's familiar. And um, yeah. so it stops, for me, it stops my, I've got a very busy mind. And yeah. it stops me thinking. And I put it on quite quietly, so I have to kind of strain to listen a bit. And, yeah, it's familiar. And... It stops my mind working over time, and it's just quite relaxing. So, yeah, sends me off to snoozies. Yeah, so that's a good tip. Yeah, um, but Ryan sent you off to snoozies. That was rough. I like the actor that plays his dad. He's got one of those faces. Is his name? I should have looked this up. I don't know, but he was in the movie The Family Stone, which I loved. I haven't seen. He that played. Movie, he. I think. Oh, it's so good. It's um. I say it's a Christmas movie because the movie is filmed around it's it's Christmas time when it's um the story is happening. Like the family, their last name is Stone, and the storyline is that the their four kids come home for Christmas. Um and it's all their lives intertwining. It's a really it's Diane Keaton is in it. Oh, I um, like Diane Keaton. I do too. Um, Oliver, or not, um, Owen Wilson's brother. I can't think of his name. He's in it. Luke Wilson. Yeah, um, which he's great in that one. Sarah Jessica Parker is in it. Um, it's a really good movie. 
you should watch it. Uh, what's her name? Uh, f- uh, from the Notebook, Amy. A- oh uh, God, I hate no- that film. Jesus. No, that's Amy. Is her name in the movie? Um, what is her name? The act, the main actress from the Notebook. Ra- Rachel McAdams, maybe. Oh my God, um, I love Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams was in Disobedience. Oh my God, is that a movie and a half? So that's not who it is from the Notebook. I don't know. Because I, I have seen the I've seen bits of the notebook, but it made me want to stick pins in my eyes. Jesus Christ. Oh, that was I cried on that movie. I have to look it up now. I have to look I'd up. I'd cry if you made who, me watch it. Um, golly. Um, let's look up who if that's Ryan's Rachel dad. Was. I've just looked up Ryan's dad. He is Dermot Mulroney. Yeah, okay. But I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it is. It's Rachel Rachel McAdams. She's in it. Oh my god. You need to watch Disobedience. It's her and Rachel Vice. Okay. Oh, I love and, Rachel Vice. Yeah. I love Rachel Vice. And it's about oh it's oh it's absolutely brilliant. It's set in London, like in modern day London. And What's it called? Disobedience. Okay. And they're from a very strict Jewish community. They're Orthodox Jews. Okay. And Rachel Weiss is like the black sheep of not only her family, but the community. And so she's buggered off and gone to be a photographer in New York. But her dad's a rabbi for this community and he dies and so she comes back to London for the funeral and to go through her father's things. And all hell breaks loose. Okay. Emotional hell breaks loose. It is, I won't say any more about it. It's very moody. It's very brooding. But my God, is it a brilliant piece of film. Okay, I'll have to watch it. Oh, it's so good. It's really good. Okay. Anyway, that took a turn, didn't it? <laughs> two movies now. Two movies now that right we recommend: The Family Stone and Disobedience. Yes. Um, what we don't, what we don't recommend, or what Tiffany doesn't recommend, is this episode, <laughs> particularly yeah. parts with Ryan and his dad. But I liked all of the kind of father son interactions between Ryan and Pruitt. I thought that was really yes. nice. And the way Pruitt is kind of really curmudgeon-y, but Ryan really doesn't care. And he just kind of goes over Pruitt's head and and just intends to take care of Pruitt anyway, whether he wants it or not. And that's, for me, the, that's like a true father-son relationship, right? That's a true kind mm-hmm. of parent-child relationship is unconditional love in both directions. Um. And it was really good to see the juxtaposition between Ryan's dad and Pruitt and see that, and I think we saw that actually Pruitt is Ryan's true father figure. Right, yeah. And that the decency that Ryan's dad says that he's learned has been modelled by Pruitt. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and when you think back to previous episodes where we see that Ryan's stolen a car, that's obviously come from his dad. But then who comes to pick him up from jail? Pruitt. Right. 
And so yeah. this is just kind of a reflection of that. And Ryan says, I know how to think like a bad guy because that's what you taught me. But then the bit that he doesn't say out loud is, and I'm a cop because of what Pruitt taught me. Oh, yeah, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. And whilst Pruitt definitely has his faults and arguably his treatment of Andy has been less than ideal, the way that he's parented Andy, what it does show is that he is a very kind-hearted and, and sturdy man and that he can always be relied upon because he's the one that Ryan wants to go to when his dad mm-hmm. shows up again. So yeah. even though he's all like curmudgeon and moany, Ryan still knows that he can go to him and feel safe with him. Yeah, no, I agree. Because, you know, any man can father a child, but the mark of a man is how he shows up as a father for that child, isn't it? So... Yeah, it reminds me of the, I think, future episode when they do Friendsgiving and he gets the alert on his phone for the warrant for his dad and Prue is like, there's a storm, you didn't see it, I did, you told me nothing, we're going to go, like, I agree, that, that what you said brought me to that scene. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I can agree with that. So Yeah. It maybe wasn't particularly enjoyable to watch, but I think it did a really good job of showing that really Pruitt's been Ryan's father. That Pruitt, yeah. Pruitt's the one that, that really raised Ryan and made him the man that he is. Okay. I can see that. I normally would ask you if you've got anything more to say on the subject before we moved on, but I know that you haven't. No, I think I've made my feelings pretty clear. <laughs> Uh, the next bit I have entitled Andy Meyer and a Sprinkle of Vic because we had quite a bit of like Aww. Andy Meyer stuff and Vic was there a little bit in and out, wasn't she? So should we talk about their interactions? Sure. Okay, so we open with a girl scene. Andy, Meyer and Vic are in a bar and they're about to do a round of flaming Sambucas, which is it's never a good idea. Nothing good has ever happened that started with a flaming Sambuca. I didn't know that. Maybe that's just my experience, but I've done a lot of things that I regret after <laughs> <laughs> when when things have started out with a Sambuca. Jesus Christ. Um Your mom would not be happy with you if she listened to this podcast. Oh, my God. My poor mother. She knows plenty. And she always... Yeah. (laughs) But she always, like, laughs and says to me, thank God you told me about it afterwards. If I'd known about it at the time, I wouldn't have known a minute's peace. (laughs) No, I mean, how many times you've said Jesus Christ this episode? Oh, yeah. (laughs) She would be like... (laughs) She would be so Melissa. Melissa. Don't blaspheme, that is blasphemous. (laughs) (laughs) True. Look, as I always tell my mother, Jesus has got bigger fish to fry than whether I'm taking his name in vain or not. Just saying. There's a lot worse things I'm fairly confident that me taking his name in vain is relatively far down his list of priorities with the state of the world. I I knew someone that whenever they would say that they would be like, "What? I'm just asking asking him for help. <laughs> yeah. I'm just calling his name." <laughs> True. There you go. Yeah. So, but yeah, you've you've just said it so many times. I'm picturing you I, 
my mum, my little mum, yelling at me. Yeah, Melissa, yeah. <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> yeah, the stress is always on the first part of my name if I'm in trouble. Yeah. Melissa. Um. Anyway, Andy is smart in this situation. <laughs> she does not want a flaming sambuca. She wants a beer. Mm-hmm. Good girl. They all slate Station 23 with Vic saying that that's where they should have sent Sullivan instead of to 19 because there's no need to fix what isn't broken. But Maya jumps to Sullivan's defence saying that he's not that bad, much to the displeasure of Andy and Vic. But Maya says that he's like a coach pushing them to be their best and his style isn't terrible just because it's different. On this night out, Maya and Vic have taken it upon themselves to be Andy's wing women. And Vic says that Andy needs to meet somebody that she neither works with nor lives next door to. But there Maya is... had red lipstick on in this scene, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about Maya in bright red lipstick. I just was mentioning that she had bright red lipstick on. She did. Just... It was a choice. It was a look. It I was prefer, a look. I prefer a natural. I, mind, I, I prefer... All women looking natural. I enjoy a natural look. Okay. Good to know. Just my preferred aesthetic. Just saying. (laughs) Not that anyone gives a toss. toss. Just saying. Anyone gives a toss? I love it. You know, if you've run Uh, a brush through your hair, that's making an effort to me. Crack on. I'm all for it. Yes, they have... Decided that they're going to be Andy's wing women, but their wing womaning is not required because a handsome man at the other end of the bar has been both equal parts creepy and smooth. He was creepy in as much as he listened into their conversation, but then he turned it into smooth because he took action based on the contents of said conversation mm-hmm. and has got Andy the beer that she wanted. Yeah. Which she goes over and thanks him for. Then the next day at the station in the beanery, Vic asks Andy whether she was entertaining visitors the previous night. And Andy takes a supremely long time taking a rather large sip of water before saying that she gave handsome Brad from the bar her number, which Vic doesn't seem very impressed with, but Dean says is a good start. Yeah, I know. I remember thinking like she she way over overreacted that that. Um, response to the question. <laughs> yeah. Like sure. she made it seem like something big happened and she's yeah. like, yeah, I got digits. Yeah. <laughs> and then Myra and Vic are like, yeah, we may have overcorrected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was funny between them. But the humor is short lived because then we hear Sullivan bark that he needs them all downstairs for a lineup, which is where he gives out their specialities that he wants them to master. And then later in the barn, Andy is complaining to Maya about having been assigned recruitment when she could have been on smoke jumping or wildfires. And Maya asks what happened to trusting the universe, like Andy said she was going to do with dating. Andy says that it's hard for her to trust the universe when the universe is Sullivan. But then Maya changes the subject, saying that she wants to set down some ground rules now that Andy's handing out her phone number willy-nilly and says that while she doesn't mind Hans and Brad walking around in his boxes, she doesn't want him sitting on her furniture naked. And um, 
Andy says that he hasn't even called her yet to nakedly sit anywhere. At which point we get a flash to Pruitt's house where it appears that he's receiving Brad's call. Yeah. That was a nice little touch. I thought that was quite funny. But then Andy changes the subject back to their new specialities. I mean, of course she does. Telling Maya (laughs) that the incident command, Maya's speciality, is the most exciting one with it being sort of hands on a moment to moment. And then Sullivan does that thing that he's done a couple of times now, which is he sneaks up behind them (laughs) when they're talking and butts into Mm -hmm. their conversation. So he interjects saying that the one that he's given Maya, the speciality he's given Maya, was one of the first specialities that was assigned to him by his CO back in the day which put him on the officer track, which seems to excite Maya, but irk Andy. Then back in the barn after the incident, Andy and Vic are laughing about Andy giving Hanson Brad her dad's number by accident, but Maya isn't joining in. She's quite quiet and brooding, and she says that she doesn't like to lose. And Andy says that it took her a while to get to grips with calls like that, with everything coming at her at once. But Maya cuts her off saying she doesn't want to dwell on it. But Andy won't let it drop and says that Maya shouldn't be so hard on herself and that she'll get it eventually. But Maya takes great exception to that comment. Mm-hmm. Andy, not taking a hint, keeps talking. <laughs> but mm-hmm. she does say that she changes the subject a little bit and says that Maya might be right about Sullivan and his methods because she might have found her first recruit on the call, referring obviously to the girl with smoke inhalation. And then Andy asks Maya if everything is good between them. And Maya says, yeah, why wouldn't it be? But she says it in a way that very much suggests that things are far from fine. And we leave Andy over at her dad's where she's, um, she's got, she goes over and finds him on the porch playing cards with Ryan, who tries to excuse himself upon Andy's arrival, but Pruitt makes him stay. And then Andy offloads to both her dad and ryan about her sullivan problem and pruitt in like proper dad mode offers to go down there and sort sullivan out for her (laughs) but she says to leave it and that she's actually the problem not sullivan and says that she no longer trusts herself and sees every situation as a setup for failure Um, but her rant is interrupted by the house phone ringing which pruitt goes to answer leaving ryan and andy to have something of a reconciliation with Ryan saying that it's been a while since they talked and maybe they should have a proper catch-up. And then Pruitt comes out with the house phone in hand with Hanson Brad on the other end of it. The chicken farmer. Who's the chicken farmer? What's the chicken farmer? He's Hanson Brad was a chicken farmer. Was he? I'd forgotten. Yeah. I hadn't picked up on that. Yeah. Well, I hope Pruitt that- says to Andy, did you know that he farms chickens? Well, that's right, because they've been having a good old chat. Yeah. Yes. Um, I hope that it's very high welfare and that they're all free range. We have chickens. I did not know you had chickens. How mm-hmm. did I not know that you had chickens? I don't know. We have like eight, six or eight. How's Willow with the chickens? Oh, God. Um. <laughs> We have to keep Willow away from the chickens, or they'll end up in her mouth. <laughs> Has she actually not... ever managed to get at any of the chickens? Yeah, twice we had to get them out of her mouth. 
Did they survive? Yes, they were fine. Oh, that's good. She didn't like chomp down on them. She just had them in her mouth. Um, but yeah, she'll, she'll chase after them. So we have to keep her away from them. Do you keep them for their meat or for the eggs or for both? Just the eggs. Just the eggs. Excellent. Yep. Their eggs are delicious. Yeah. I'd love chickens, but we're not allowed chickens. It's part of the... Well, that's not very nice. No, I know. We live in a private road and... We have like a covenant thing that says that there are certain things that we're not allowed to do. It's, I suppose it's a bit like a homeowners association. I was just going to say that sounds like an HOA. Yeah. So we have to keep the house looking at a certain way and keep it in a certain condition. And there are things that we're not allowed to do. And one of those is have chickens. So. Well, that's prejudice. Yeah, I know. Prejudice against chickens. It is. Because they're not that much maintenance. No, I think it's you like just let the them noise, roam around and give the them food and, and water. Smell, possibly. Oh, well, I'm out in the desert, so. <laughs> Only thing I have to worry about is like a snake getting at them or something. Yeah, oh, I have to worry about upset middle class people. <laughs> Which is worse? <laughs> Which is definitely worse than a snake. At least you know what you're getting with a snake. Oh dear. Yeah, stay away from it. Well, now I'm jealous of both you and Handsome Brad. Yeah. Which, do we ever hear about him again? I don't think we hear from Handsome Brad again. We can add him to our lost storyline. Our lost storylines, Handsome Brad. When I couldn't sleep earlier, I was thinking about lost storyline people. And I, I thought of Joe, the guy that comes in on Emmett's first shift. And takes makes a sandwich and takes a shower. We never see. He's on my list. He's on my list. Is he actually? Okay. Yeah, he is on my list. Um, I don't, but not by name, which is why when you said Joe, it threw me for a loop for a second. But he is on my list. I'm trying to pull my list up now, as you're saying that. He is one, two, three, four. He's the fifth one down. I've put three oh seven homeless guy using the station to shower and eat. That's Joe. That's Joe. There we go. Yes. So I found this section really fascinating in terms of Maya because I thought that we got some really good insight into what we know later on to be her relationship with her dad. Because in the bar when she says, oh, he's just like a coach, he's just pushing, pushing us to get the best out of this. Everyone else sees Sullivan's behaviour as a bit aggressive and that he almost has like a bullying style, the way that he he does kind of bully them around, doesn't he? The way that he speaks to Warren and calls them all assets and yes, just kind of yells at them all, controlling them all the time. The mid-shift lineups or the drills that he has them run, it's very, very militant and borderline bullying when you look at the way that he treats mm-hmm. Warren in particular but Maya sees this as a positive thing she frames it as encouragement right and says to them look just because it's different it's not a negative thing and she sees that as positive behavior that is supposed to be encouragement 
Mm-hmm. And her attitude post-call is very telling as well because she sees it as losing and not as the beginning of a learning curve. And her words are, I don't like to lose. Mm-hmm. But she didn't lose. She just was given this opportunity to learn something. But because she wasn't immediately amazing at it, and she is told there are things that you did wrong, she sees it straight away as the end of the world. She clearly holds herself to an incredibly high standard. And if we fast forward to season six, episode eight, which was the first episode that we recorded a podcast about, which was um, I Know a Place. When she is sobbing on the floor, she says over and over and over again, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose. Yeah. And I I think that that just must have been the genius that is Leah Gonzalez actually kind of pulling at that thread from this episode. Mm -hmm. I don't like to lose and pulling on that to get us to where Myers collapsed in a heap on the floor. But, um, yeah, I thought that this episode gave us a really good insight into Maya. And she, you know, she seems shocked and excited every time Sullivan pays her a compliment or pushes her forward as well. And I, yeah, I think that she, I think, well, let me put it this way. Do you think that the reason that she's so excited every time Sullivan pays her a compliment or puts her forward for something that she's happy about it being professional development or do you think it's more to do with the fact that she's getting praise from an authority figure who resembles her father I think it's both yeah um I think it's definitely something she feeds on because of how her father was yeah but I do think she genuinely wants to move in that career track And so when she gets those, it means a lot to her. Um, But I think it maybe means more to her than it would to somebody else because she's used to that from her father. Yeah. And I suppose she's so focused on losing that the the only option available to her to give her validation is winning. And I suppose winning means coming first and coming first Mm -hmm. means progressing up the ranks, progressing through the ranks. So you don't stop until you've, re- you know, till you've reached the top of the hierarchical tree, I suppose. Right. So I guess the two things are intertwined, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dangerous I agree. And, dangerous and toxic mix, which kind of then feeds into Minna's question as to what, what do we think would have happened mm-hmm. to Maya had Karina not come into her life and, and I suppose that her focus would have been completely on that. And there yep. wouldn't have been anything else in her life. Right. Because so much of her own because so much of her like being is caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting stuff. Um, do you think that Andy's being completely supportive when she's telling Maya that she'll get it eventually? Or do you think there's a little bit of Schadenfreude involved in that? exchange I thought she was being genuine um I don't remember feeling that there was any like 
negative implications behind it. I thought she was just trying to make her feel better. Maybe. I do think she's much happier when Maya fails, though. Like you when, do? Yeah, when Maya's getting bigged up by Sullivan and Sullivan's saying, come on, you're going to be in charge today. And you're, there's lots of eye rolling and like, oh, I can't believe it from Andy. And then when they come back and, you know, Maya's saying, I don't like to lose. And she's like, oh, you'll get it eventually. Don't you worry about it. And I think that she enjoyed it a little bit that Maya was taken down a peg or two. I and I do think that part of it is being supportive, but I think she would have taken it worse if Maya had smashed it and if Sullivan had said, yeah, great job. I don't think she'd have been as supportive of Maya's success as she is of Maya's failure. Mm-hmm. Just my two cents, as you say. Have we got anything else to say about Andy and Maya and or Vic in this bit? No, I don't think so. Okay. Dean and Jack? Dean and Jack. So we start at the houseboat and Dean's morning coffee is interrupted by Vic coming in through the back door after securing a kayak on his deck (laughs) and announcing that she's brought bagels. This whole thing absolutely cracked me up. Um. He asks what the hell and if she was just using his kayak and as if Dean has asked the most ridiculous question in the world, she pulls a face and says, no, I brought my own. And with that, Jack turns up saying that he's brought cream cheese for Vic's bagels and it turns out that Jack has invited Vic over to Dean's for breakfast. Um, And Dean points out that Jack has been hanging out there an abnormal amount. Then at the Mm -hmm. station making their way to the beanery dean confides in vic that he thinks jack has been spending all of his time at his place to avoid being alone but vic reasons that maybe he just wants to be there because of how cool the houseboat is and then when they get to the beanery maya and andy are there and vic very quickly forgets about dean's concerns for jack and is more interested in andy's love life so it gets killed off but then after their shift after the incident Jack and Dean are drinking beers on the deck of the houseboat and Dean asks Jack how he knew to read the shopping cart and the cans outside the door as signs that there were people living inside and Jack admits to Dean that he grew up in the system and spent a lot of time running from it and that he was essentially one of those kids and Dean then stands up and gives Jack the punch that he owed him from the skyscraper for not having told him anything about his childhood before now, and then invites Jack to ask to move in. Mm-hmm. Dean, man, what a good friend. I just love him. My love for Dean grows with each passing episode. Yeah, you know, I I know I remember saying that I didn't miss Dean that much. Yeah. But as I've been rewatching it and like seeing him with Prue and and stuff like that, he was he was a good guy. Oh yeah. Oh. And I think his empathy is second to none. Mhm. And his emotional intelligence, his emotional intelligence is just crazy and his genuine desire to help 
And in this particular instance, you know, he tries to confide in Vic, but then he has to go it alone because she brushes off his fears about Jack. And for a few episodes, we've been led to believe that there's nothing that Dean prides more than his home and his personal mm-hmm. space, but he willingly gives it up for Jack, no questions asked. Um, just yep. says, come on, you, you know what you've been angling for, come on, ask me, ask me to move in. Um, and I'll tell you what I really loved, I loved his physicality with Jack, because initially he does give him a punch, which is that sort of rough and tumble kind of play that we mm-hmm. expect from men. But then he reaches over and grabs Jack's thigh and he really looks at him. He really looks him in the eye when he holds onto his thigh. And you don't expect to see this kind of affection between heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. And I just found it really refreshing and really beautiful. Yeah. Found it to be a gorgeous expression of love between men. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. But yeah, I just, I just love that about Dean. That he's not only very in touch with his emotions, but he's got absolutely no problem with openly and, and sort of unabashedly expressing them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that emotionally, he's probably the healthiest character on the show. Dean. Yeah. He's pretty logical. It can be pretty judgmental sometimes, but he has very high emotional intelligence. Yeah, and I think he he's he he's got no issue with expressing his feelings. I think he's very in uh-huh. touch with himself. I think he knows himself yeah. very well. Yeah. And yeah, he's not worried about other people's opinions of him and stuff, I don't think. Um, but not in a, not in a like, oh, you know, I'll just do what I want and I don't care what you think kind of a way, but in a, I know myself and I've got integrity and I stand by this. But I think that's maybe why he can be judgmental because he holds himself to such a high standard that he expects Mm -hmm. others to have the same moral standards maybe that he does and the same levels of integrity. Yes. Yep. That expectation. Yeah. But yeah, I had a bit of a love in with Dean in this episode. I can tell. Anything you wanted to say about old Dino and Jack? No. No? We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Travis and Vic. Travic, as we like to call them. So at the station, Ben and Travis are having a chat. And Ben is saying that he's been trying to help a very stressed out Miranda, but nothing appears to be helping, which is now causing him stress. And this is relevant. I think this becomes relevant in the next episode, Ben mentioning his problems with Miranda. But anyway, at this point in time, Travis says that Grant is driving him crazy and that due to his accident, they went from the very early stages of a relationship to Grant having to give Travis unsexy sponge baths and so they missed all of the fun stuff in between and Ben likens their predicament to his and Miranda's predicament after she'd had a heart attack Um, and that although she was constantly telling Ben she was fine it didn't stop him worrying about her all the time and that they just had to trust one another and trust that everything was going to be fine 
And Travis tells Ben that he and Miranda are a little bit too perfect to be likeable sometimes. But Travis's personal relationships are not going well because things are also very prickly between him and Vic. At the incident, Maya's paired them up and Vic asks Travis if he thinks that she did it on purpose and then asks him whether he wants to go to the group therapy session that Sullivan... Well, in my notes, I've said that Sullivan had suggested, but uh, that Sullivan yelled at them to go to, so they weren't yelling in his no. station. But Travis very decisively says, no, thank you. And then Vic plugs away and asks him if he's okay, because this is his first incident back since the skyscraper. But he very dismissively says that he would feel a lot better if she didn't keep asking him about it. And she tries to apologise, but he really doesn't want to hear it. And he says that he won't be apologising for putting a victim's life ahead of his own because that's just the job. And that he's done with talking about it. And then he storms off to go and see if Andy needs any help. Then on the way back from the incident, Travis confides in Ben again and confirms that he froze when the girl was on the floor suffering from the smoke inhalation. Mm Mm-hmm when she'd collapsed and he mentions the peer group to Ben as well. But then he says that he doesn't want to do it because he's not game for sharing. But Ben points out that Travis is sharing with him right now. And then they bring some levity into the moment because Ben asks if that makes him Travis's work wife. (laughs) (laughs) Then Travis has decided to go to the peer group as has Vic but they've turned up separately with Vic saying that she didn't expect to see Travis there. And then she asks how the sharing is. And he says that there's a lot of it, which makes them both laugh and sort of breaks the tension between them before the next speaker takes to the podium. And to Vic and Travis's great surprise, it's Ripley. And he introduces himself as Lucas, which is a nice touch and says that he's having trouble getting over the skyscraper fire and that when he closes his eyes, he can still smell the smoke and hear the explosions. And he says he's haunted by the choices that he had to make. And as he's talking about it, Travis is rubbing his chest where he was impaled with the piece of glass. Ripley says that the peer group's important to him because they all understand each other and that the job makes them family. And then after the sharing time's over, Vic approaches Ripley, who says he's glad to see Travis has recovered. And Vic apologises for the way that she spoke to him at the skyscraper, saying that if she was part of the reason it was so hard on him, she's sorry. And he says that he understood where she was coming from, but she says that she didn't exactly understand the same for him before telling him that she liked what he had to say. And he says that maybe she should share next time. Um, which she says she's not sure about, but Ripley says that he hopes that he sees her. Yeah, definitely flirtation (laughs) going on there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But Travis had an interesting episode, I think. Um, We're not used to seeing Travis like this, are we? He's usually very light, Mm -hmm. and he still has some, like, wisecracks going on in this episode but it's clear through all the wisecracks that he's he's actually in a really dark place I think I just feel like there's a lot of trauma that he still hasn't faced from the actual skyscraper fire 
and then yeah I agree and then I think that I think he's taking this thing with Vic too far she's tried to apologize and he's not having any of it but I think that's to do with kind of the trauma of it and the anger I feel like maybe he's almost redirecting his fear as anger towards Vic maybe I don't know it you know it could be I think some of his anger towards Vic is is validated you know she didn't she didn't come visit him she didn't come talk to him like it would have been different if she would have came and visited him and said hey I'm having these feelings because of A, B, and C and worked with him and talked him through it and instead she disconnected and distanced herself and yeah kind of abandoned him really yes she did yeah. and that's not I mean that's not a good friend as much as I hate to say it because I love Travis and Vic um, and she did it selfishly because of her feelings, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think Vic was, I think Travis was correct in being angry. Um, and I don't blame him for needing time to get over it, even after she apologized. Okay. I wonder how appropriate it is to go over and yell at a guy that's just had heart surgery, though. Right. <laughs> Which that's another lost storyline is his scar. <laughs> yes. There's been a lot of bio oil involved, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that Travis went to the group therapy. Were you? Yeah, I didn't think he was going to go. I didn't think I was surprised that Vic showed up too, though. I didn't think she was. I was go actually either. more surprised at Vic going than Travis, yeah. and that's my next point yeah. on my on my page actually. Because in season one, she seemed like really insular and she wanted to do everything by herself. She was very Mm -hmm. self-reliant. And this just seems like the opposite of something that she would do. But do you think that this is a softening of Vic or a maturing of of Vic or both? Do you think that the team's intervention in her fear of fire helped her to see things differently? And that's why she's turned up. Yeah, I think it's both. And I think it's her being there for Travis. Um, Yeah. You know, being a good friend, maturing, growing. Um, I think it's all of those things wrapped into one. And also an excuse for the writers to move things along with her and Ripley. Correct. Because that (laughs) that flirting was way obvious. Oh, my God. Their chemistry. Yeah. I, when I do my notes, I watch the episode and then I like pause to then yeah. dictate my next bit and then I watch a bit more and pause and then and so I, every time I pause to make my notes for this section there was a still of one of their faces. Mm. And even in the stills, oh my god, the look between mm-hmm. them made me blush. My word. Yeah. Definite chemistry there. Yeah, it was amazing. And um, I loved how Vic lost her cool because Vic is the yeah. epitome of cool, but she was stumbling over her words and saying the wrong yeah. thing. And, you know, I, I loved what you said. It was really depressing. In a good way, in a good way. <laughs> Just, you yeah, know. Yeah, it, it was cute. Yeah, it was It was very cute. It was very cute. I love those two. 
Um, anything else to say about Travis and Vic? And Ripley, since nope. he's in the mix now as well. No? No, I liked, I think having Ripley at the meeting was a nice touch. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it, it showed, which I think Vic said, it showed that he did have sympathy, empathy and he did struggle when she said to him, you know, why do you even care at the skyscraper incident yeah. or you don't, you know, and it just, I really liked how they allowed him to open up in that, in that yeah. situation. And I loved how they let Vic take accountability for her actions in that same moment as well. When he says, Oh, don't worry. I understood where you were coming from. And she says, yeah, yeah. I didn't offer that same understanding to you. Right. So, I, yeah. And that's just an apology given and an apology accepted. He didn't hold a grudge and she took accountability. And I loved that. I just really loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Such it a was a scene. really, it wasn't that long of a scene, interaction or a scene, but it was a good one. Yeah. It was very efficient writing. Mm, yes. Yeah. I don't have anything else for that episode. That's all of my notes for this one. Well, that wasn't that bad. I thought it had some good stuff in it, actually. I liked our insight into Maya. I liked the softening between Sullivan and Andy. Um, I liked, I loved Vic and Ripley. That was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I just thought overall I would give it an above average rating. Okay, that's fair. What would you give it now, as it as it stands? <laughs> I'd give it a seven point five out of ten. All right, now let's take Ryan out of the mix. <laughs> now, what are you giving it? A nine out of ten. <laughs> Poor Ryan. Those and I love Ryan. I love Ryan, the character of Ryan. I just the, for some reason the way those scenes were written and the way that they were acted out just my eyes just glazed over it was just like I don't know what it I don't know what it was about it people can disagree with me and be like oh no it was shot really well you know you you liked the seeing the bond between them for me it was just like okay fast forward (laughs) like I just I couldn't do it yep (laughs) so fair enough fair enough did you see any themes in this one? Probably growth, probably personal growth. Yeah. I struggled a bit with coming up for a theme for this one, but I thought that maybe being haunted by, and actually Ripley uses the word haunted, doesn't he? But but maybe being haunted by or, or even confronting demons potentially. Okay. Because Ryan has to literally confront his dad. Um, Mm -hmm. Travis has to confront his fear and his resentment that's been brought on by the skyscraper. Andy's daddy issues resurface um, with both with Sullivan, I think, a bit. And also the fact that she's still giving out her home phone number, which shows that she's still kind of living in the past and in Pruitt's shadow in a way, I think. 
and then for Jack and Maya, it's it's childhood trauma that haunts them and revisits them both. Yeah. So that was, I thought, a thread that sort of ran through. Um, yeah, I can see that. But it, yeah, but it wasn't like a smack you in the face theme in this one. I don't think. Mm. What are your takeaways from this episode? What are you looking forward to seeing next that emerged from this one? Um, probably the con the continued softening of the of Andy and Sullivan. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've put down. I didn't know what to narrow it down to because I felt like this one was an embarrassment of riches with storylines that we can springboard off into because there's the whole thing between Maya and Andy and the degradation of their relationship. Then there's Maya in the progression of her career, Andy and Sullivan and the tension, the professional tension and personal interactions that are growing strong between them. But I think the most exciting thing for me going forward is Vic and Ripley. Yeah, that too, seeing them soften. Yeah. Who did you think had the best growth in this episode? I would say it's a tie between Vic and Travis. I said Travis. Okay. Um, because he opened up to Warren. He yeah. admitted his fear following the skyscraper incident. And he went to the peer therapy thing. Yeah, that was a lot. Yeah. So I thought that that was, yeah, as you say, a lot. Yeah. Can't improve on that. Yeah. Best scene for you? Probably the exchange between Vic and Ripley. We have agreed again. Have we? Okay, cool. I, yeah, I put Vic and Ripley, and then I put or Dean and Jack, because then I remembered Dean and oh, Jack afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Vic and Ripley one came later, so that was the one that was on my mind the most. But I thought the Dean and Jack one was really good as well. And what was your favourite line or piece of dialogue? See if we can go three for three. I don't know. I don't I don't think I have a favorite line. It probably be something Vic said to Ripley probably. Um but I wouldn't be able to put a pinpoint on it. I struggled with this one because I didn't think that mm -hmm. this one had many normally if there's not anything really meaningful there's something that's funny. Right, right. And I didn't think that there was anything with any amazing depth or anything that made me laugh out loud in this one but yeah i said ripley's share at the peer group oh yeah yeah that was powerful yeah what he shared was was good who was your mvp in this episode travis yeah my mvp was oak for this one because okay. I think a lot of what he did was incredibly subtle and I think that it was its subtlety that made it more powerful he was very still a lot of the time and just he did a lot of stuff with his face a lot of the are you looks... referring to Dean yeah 
Okay. Yeah, Oak was just, he was so good as Dean in this episode. Mm -hmm. He was my MVP. That surprises me. Oh, that that I liked Oak in this one. (coughs) That you picked Dean as your MVP, yeah. That surprises me. Um, Yeah, I just thought his acting was brilliant in this one. I I think that there was so much subtlety in, in what he did. And I found a lot of his facial expressions and stuff very moving. And the way that he was with Jack at the end, you know, when he got up and gave him that punch and then reached for his knee. I found it moving. He moved me. Okay. Which, as you know, is hard to do because I'm dead inside. Well, that's why he's the MVP. There you go. (laughs) Um... Giffable moment. Most most giffable moment, yes. Would probably be when Sullivan is gonna um, pass out the assignments and Travis is like, do we get to pick our own? And then he starts saying the assignments and then Travis goes, we do not get to pick our own. Okay. (laughs) 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 Like, that, like, that made me laugh out loud when he did that because it was yeah. just so Travis. It's quintessential Travis, isn't it? Yeah. 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 He reminds me of, oh, no, that's another Friends thing and you're not, it's, and you didn't watch Friends. But he, the way that he phrases things, his phrasing of things reminds me a lot of Chandler Bing. Oh, okay. Which Friends really? fans, yeah, Friends fans, let me know what you think of that. Yeah, but some I, of the- I've seen a couple episodes of Friends. I've seen a, a and that I don't, I, I can't correlate those two together. It's literally the the way that he actually articulates things and the phrasing and where he puts his emphasis on words in a line. So with Travis saying, "Oh, we do not get to choose." And the phrasing, that's something that Chandler would say in that way, I think. Oh, we do not get to choose. <laughs> it's, it sounded yeah. very, yeah. just the the way that the sentence is constructed and the emphasis on the words and, and the rhythm and everything. It sounds very similar to a, to a Chandler Bing delivery. And Chandler was one of my favourites on Friends. He was very, very funny. Matthew Perry's a very funny man. So it's a, so it's a good comparison. It's a favourable comparison. I mean it as a compliment. I just sounded like Maya then, didn't I? That's a compliment, by the way. Right. You don't speak. You don't speak Maya. You don't speak Bishop. I speak Bishop. I'm fluent. Um, <laughs> that sounded dirty, and I didn't mean it to. I just realised that. <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> um, no takesy backsies. <laughs> no takesy backsies. My most gifable moment is Pruitt <laughs> with the with the ladder stuck to his finger. Oh, stuck to his finger, yeah. He tries to wag his finger at Ryan and then it realises there's a ladder and he's like, that's... Yeah, yeah. I'm a sucker for physical comedy, so that amused me. So that is 204 out of the way. We won't make you do that one again, Tiffany. You never have to watch that episode again. Thank you. The, the review actually wasn't that bad. You felt better about it when we were talking about it. Yeah, it, it, I don't remember what episode it was, but there was one where it was like our shortest recording ever because 6-12. we were in like, yeah, and like in like 
people were like earth to tiffany because you said something and i was like warren and you were like travis and i'm like yeah oh. no that's right that was one of our season one episodes yeah, yeah. where it was yeah. just like yeah. i was just i i couldn't keep my attention yeah no it, it was a bad episode yeah, I can't remember which one it was, but I remember it, it was being bad. It was terrible. And like getting through the recording was like it was gnawing brutal. my teeth. It, it was, was so br- bad. <sighs> yeah, no, I do recall. Yeah, no, this wasn't in that category at all. No, it wasn't. No, not nearly. Next week's one, I think it's a good one from memory. 205, it's called Do a Little Harm. And the logline says Captain Sullivan deals with difficult memories during life-saving training. Miranda asks Ben to take a break on their marriage and Dean doesn't like celebrating his birthday and tells Jack why. Is this the one where Jack and Maya are both vying for the same girl, trying to get the same girl's phone number? Is that the one? Oh, I think, yeah, I think so. It is, isn't it? And we find out Sullivan's backstory with his wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a strong episode. So I'm looking forward to talking about that one with you. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay. Well, I should probably give you up and let you go back to your son. I should share. I should share you with your son, shouldn't I? Yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's ventured away from the door, so he's probably watching TV with Josh now. He's giving Nemo up. time. Yep, you know it. Just keep swimming. That's his favorite. He, uh, Nemo is the first thing he does when he wakes up. Mama, moat, Nemo. It's the first thing <laughs> he wakes up. So. Bless him. All right. Well, I shall go and share you with your son. And okay. I'm going to go and get a spot of lunch, I think. Get a spot of lunch. Spot of lunch. Okay. Right. I really do need to give you back to your son now. Go and pair with okay. somebody. Come on. Yeah, I know. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> all right give my love to your mom yeah i will since you're her favorite <laughs> i look forward to her feedback yeah <laughs> uh, um i'm sure it'll you know i'm gonna have her listen to this episode i'm gonna make her sit down and listen to it Hi, and be like and be like here listen <laughs> Very okay. entertaining. Don't don't listen. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Have a good one, mate. And I will you too. Ca- catch you on the flip side or something equally gangster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.